So, thanks for being here again. My name is Lauren Richmond. I'm the, the pastor of the Mission Gathering. And uh, today we're talking about making room. So I was kind of actually excited to see, like, we already had to put it into practice, making room this morning. So, uh, uh, like, perfect. Um, and really, I think about making room because, like, I am a homeowner. I'm, I'm fortunate in that regard. And, you know, as a, as a homeowner... You know, when you go around buying or in the, in the process to search for a home, you go around looking at different homes. And generally when we were, my wife and I were looking for homes, we looked for homes that were within our price range. But one of the things that's fun to do if you're looking for a home or you're just, you know, doing like the Colorado tour of homes, is that what it's called? Is just look at these massive houses. And man, they are they're pretty cool. When, when you think about like how big and how much space there is, like that would be an awesome house to have when you think about, you know, my dream house, so to speak, would be like, I don't know, like, I, I mean, I feel like now you almost have to like a four-car garage, right? Because three is just like too cliche. You know, like a four-car garage, like I need a study, I need like six bathrooms, you know, I think I'm getting some, I'm getting some, some head nods. That's good. So I can think like a finished basement with like a rec room and probably I'd want like a mini gym down there. I mean, just lots and lots of space. Now, obviously for practical reasons, that is really impractical. I mean, for one to be, I can't imagine in this market, ungodly expensive. You know, I have friends, I have pastor friends in the Midwest and it is, I mean, talk about the pastor getting jealous is when I look at like, a, like, what their houses cost out there is, like, I'm serious, like, you could get, I mean, something that, I don't want to get into it, but it's, it's nuts. It's nuts what little they pay for their awesome houses compared to what we pay for our houses. So, um, for one, it'd be ungodly expensive, and then, of course, I mean, I, this is the, this is the thing with new houses. They try to make it energy efficient in all these ways just to make you feel better about the fact that you're living in a giant energy hog, Right? So there's that. And so as much as I would love to, to live in a giant house, like, it, it's just not practical for a whole host of reasons. Um, and really, it's, in, and beyond like those impracticalities, I think there's something problematic about a family really living in that big of a space. Like, you'd all like have your own little church owned the house and the pastor live in there. So, uh, my dad's church merged with another church, and for whatever reason, we had to, we had to leave. And being a pastor, he didn't make a lot of money. Uh, so we moved to Colorado here, where my mother's parents were. And we lived with my mother's parents, the six of us, in this little house in Littleton. Uh, my parents still live in it today. And back then, my room, if you called a room, was, was really a closet um, probably about this, probably about this long, and maybe just, I mean, no wider than this. Somehow, that, w- that was my room. Okay, so, yeah, I'm, I am scarred here from this. Um, there, we moved to my grandparents owned a, uh, a rental, um, in Old Inglewood, so just off Broadway area, if you know old, that Old Inglewood, and that was a 700 square foot house, um, with two bedrooms. So we had four kids with two bunk beds and one bedroom, and my parents had a bunk, obviously their room. 
And I remember I would get, because I had three sisters, so I remember I would get dressed in the bathroom, you know, do my stuff in the bathroom. Um, from there, actually, went to, we went to uh, public housing. So we got a house off Gallup Street, if you know Littleton. Um, I think it's South Littleton Boulevard. Um, so not a, not a huge space, but a, b- a bigger space for us. And then from that point, my parents were able to buy their first house ever. Uh, I was about mm, 15, 14 years old. My parents bought their first home ever. It was in the West Highlands neighborhood of Denver before it was the hip place to live. So I don't know if you've ever been in the West Highlands neighborhood of Denver. Um, who's, do you know that Chipotle on the corner of 32nd and Lowell? Yeah, like I, I, was, I lived there before that was a Chipotle. Um, so the, the thing about that little Denver bungalow was that it was a one-bathroom house. So there's six of us sharing one bathroom. Um, and then after a few years, you know, it was kind of when the, the market started initially going crazy. My parents bought that for 80000 They <laughs> get some envy right here. Um, I think they sold it for around 160. That was, you know, mid-90s. Now it's what, like 400? Let's be real. Um, we're gonna have, we're gonna have to like just take some time to decompress about real estate before we're done here. So after that, they bought a house in Arvada, um, uh, just south of Lake Arbor. Lake Arbor. So like, I'm getting off track here, but Lake Arbor to me that's kind of like my home. Kind of like where's home for you? Kind of that circle around like 80th and Sheridan. That's kind of that's kind of home. Because uh, later on, my wife and I lived in a, a townhome on the other side of Sheridan. But anyway, so my parents bought, when I was a senior, they bought a, a home there just south of Lake Arbor. And it was a little bigger home, little 70s, kind of classic 70s, terrible architecture. But, you know, that, that home, and it had this big, huge, just like open space in the basement. And even though we had a bigger home, so to speak, it seemed like we'd always end up, the six of us, together in this space, and um, Karina and I, she's not here today because Jackson is sick, but my wife Karina, uh, we knew each other in in high school, and we'd kind of hang out in the same circles, and as we started uh, dating, you know, she'd be with my family, it just would overwhelm her, because there'd be about, I mean, there's six of us, but there'd be about like five conversations happening in the midst of this kind of chaos. So it seemed like, even though we had our own separate space to go to, we'd all kind of just come back together because we're so used to being in this, this combined space. So uh, when I got to college, and, you know, forgive me for being a non-pastoral here for a moment, but I had a terrible roommate. He was terrible. And, uh, you know, he was a, just a, a big pain in the, I'm not going to say what it is, because A, we're in church, and B, it was a Bible college, um, so I definitely wasn't allowed to say it then. But he was, you know, let's be fair, he was a kid, like a young man like me, trying to figure out his way in the world, like we all are at 18 or 19. And uh, he was, I think he was an only child, so he wasn't used to having to share space or make room for others. So I kind of thought that maybe for me, having, have lived in such small spaces and confined spaces with, you know, three siblings and two parents in small spaces, I kind of had to get used to finding room for other people. Um, so I, in many ways, I think it was a good, good experience. Uh, you know, my, my brother-in-law, so my wife's brother, 
they lived in a house in West Arvada, and something he told me stuck with me. He said that he felt like me having to live in these combined spaces was really a good, a good learning opportunity in that in life you, you have to learn how to make room for other people. And when you have this big house you live in, you, you just don't learn how to do that. And it kind of echoes, uh, there was a famous basketball coach, Pete Carroll, who coached at, at the University of Princeton, and he had this, um, this, this idea that he had better success, he felt like, with kids who came, or, or, let me say it the opposite way, uh, he had a, a bit of angst, I guess you'd say, about kids who came from so-called three-car garage households. Like they had this big house, whereas he liked the kids who came from little uh, rough-and-tumble kind of families and neighborhoods because they dealt with adversity, they dealt with the challenges, and they, they knew how to overcome, versus, versus kids who lived in these big houses with, you know, mom taking them to practice and back from practice and have breakfast ready and all that. Like, they didn't have to think for those things. So he felt like the kids who had come from these challenging more situations were better equipped to, to deal with, um, you know, the adversity that comes in life and then in a basketball game. So it seems like, and I, th- I think in general, there's something about making room, finding room, that seems to be beneficial. Now I say this, as much as I think that's the case, I think, I feel like in our American culture, at least historically, that's been the opposite of what our culture has been about, historically. From the beginnings of our nation and, and manifest destiny, does anyone remember the term from high school history, manifest destiny has been about pushing out, expanding our borders. And when I say our, I really mean, can I be real, white people's borders. And it's been and shoving out whoever and whatever was there. And in most of the case, that was indigenous folks. And really, since the beginning of America, we've just been able to keep growing, keep expanding, never really having to make room, so to speak, for those who acted differently, thought differently, or worshipped differently than us. Basically, if, if, if two people disagreed, rather than having to make room for each other, one or both of them could just head west and, you know, stake a claim, and again, and rather than and rather than actually have to make room with the indigenous people who are already there, just shove them out farther somewhere else, right? So interestingly enough, as much as we'd like to think that we have a country has progressed, I guess you might say, in some ways, we've, we've kind of continued this practice in, in a new format. Social media. I love social media. It's fun to be on Facebook. It's fun to be on Twitter. Instagram, this is a new hot thing. Uh, do we have any Snapchatters today? Any Snapchatters? Okay, good. I'm not doing anything on Snapchat, so we're just, we're just leaving those people out for someone else, I guess. So, uh, b- political commenters, commentators lament the fact that we are, we are increasingly polarized in our nation, right? Um, they call this, some people are, some people are calling us what they refer to as self-sorting, meaning that we are choosing to move and align ourselves with people who echo or fit in with our kind of preferred tribe or people or way of thinking or, or what have you. And the thing about social media is, I think it was originally intended to as a way to expand our borders and introduce us to new 
horizons and perspectives, but if you know social media, it's really the opposite. And, and maybe this is perhaps the, I don't know, the evil of social media, if I can be frank, is that they've designed it in such a way where they, it really turns us into these big silos where we just kind of get these echo chambers where um, I want to hear about the Broncos all day. So literally all I hear is about how awesome Von Miller is all day. I mean, Von Miller's an awesome player, but, you know, perhaps if you really want to be a wide NFL fan, you need to hear about other teams and perspectives. And social media does the opposite. It just, it kind of just echo. it's this big echo chamber. It just reminds us of, of what we think and feel rather than exposing us to different ideas and perspectives. So it seems like rather than making room for different people or different ideas, we're instead essentially able to wall them out. Now, I'm not saying that we should be carbon copies of one another, but I do want to say that, that walling us off from one another, I don't think is, is healthy either. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow from my friend Katrina, who's the resident counselor here, who always is sharing stuff about boundaries. Now, if I'm remembering this right, um, Katrina talks, and others talk about boundaries as um, a, a solid line is a rigid boundary, okay? So that's too strong of a boundary. Then you have, you have no boundary at all. And folks like Katrina, mental health professionals, will talk about, uh, would you say like the dotted line? Is that what, how you describe it? Yeah, so that's the way I imagine it. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like, almost like, you know, line with a little break, line with a little break. So there's, it's not, it's not completely porous. There's some definition, but there's room for ebb and flow. I want to say this morning that I'm not a fan of building walls in whatever context. I'm about making room because I think that's what God's about. So today we're continuing our series, uh, Unsung Heroes of Christmas, and that's why we have this cool little uh, background here. We are seeking to highlight stories, or some lesser-known stories, of hope being born into the world. We're taking a deeper look at the Christmas story, and today we're looking at the story of the innkeeper. Now, if you're, if you're smart which you probably all are, you're, you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, there's, there's really no innkeeper, right? You're right. Um, you're right. But um, for the sake of imagination, I want you just to imagine with me this morning if there, like there might have been, but let's, let's read the story. If you'd like to follow along, we'll be reading from the book of Luke uh, in, the, in the Gospels. It's Luke's story of the good news. So it's Luke chapter uh, 2, verses 1 through 7. We're also going to have it here on screen if you'd like to follow along. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David, he went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in a bands of cloth 
and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So we assume there was an inn, and the, 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 the scripture tells us that are in, but in practical reasons, or for practical purposes, in first century Palestine, there really wasn't an actual inn or hotel like we think of it today, despite our little uh, hotel graphic. There was probably just guest houses that were uh, available. And as much as we, we think about, you know, I think the common narrative is we kind of picture Joseph walking from hotel to hotel or house to house, knocking on doors, only to have doors slammed in his face. Probably the opposite was the case because hospitality was a big deal in that culture. So probably what really happened was, you know, Joseph would walk up to a house saying, hey, do you have any room here? And they'd just have to say like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm really sorry, I don't know what to do, I don't have any space for you. So door to door. Um, and we know, like, but we know that's not the end of the story. They, they, they found room somewhere. We know that while they're there, Jesus was born, and they wrapped him in, in swaddling cloth or, or in bands of cloth, and they laid him in a manger or what was really a feed trough for animals. And, it, and really, we don't even know if there was a barn or a stable. We just kind of imagine that was the case. But again, if you'd allow me some, some room for interpretation this morning, I'd like to think that there was some innkeeper or homeowner who's seeing this young, struggling couple, realizing they had nowhere to stay, said, hold on, I might, I might have something something that would work for you, and said, this is not great. I'm sorry, this is the best I can do, but I can make room for you in my stable. And the innkeeper made room. I think there's something powerful that happens within us when we make room. I think there's something powerful that happens within us when we make room. I'm thinking about, if you know the rest of the Christmas story, who did not make room? King Herod. Do you remember that? After the wise men in in Matthew's account, the wise men come to King Herod and say, hey, there's a star in the east who's foretelling of a, a birth of a king. Can we go see him? And Herod doesn't know anything about it. And Herod thinks about it and says, this, this is not good. I can't have any of this. And he orders all of the uh, infant and newborn uh, male children to be slaughtered. King Herod had no room in his heart for anything else, despite living in this palatial, gigantic palace. At least for that time, he had no room in his heart. And maybe there's something, something about God choosing this young peasant couple, having God's son born in a manger in this little town of Bethlehem, whose birth was announced to shepherds, spoke something about the ability of these people to find room in their hearts. I wonder about that. 
You know, I, th- I think there's this notion, if I can be frank, I, f- I feel like there's this notion in our country right now that peace comes through bigger fences and border walls. I think, and I think more so the Bible speaks, that peace comes through making room. I think about King Herod, and I wonder, like, was he really at peace? And I, again, if I can be frank this morning, I, I look at those advocating for bigger walls, and I wonder, do they really seem at peace? I believe, and this is what, one of the things we are about at Mission Gathering, the good news that Jesus brings and the good news of the Christmas story is that God is about making room. God is about making room. You know, I, I saw a bumper sticker, and, and fairly this was on social media, um, I saw a bumper sticker that talked about, it said, heaven has strict immigration policies. And that's not exactly accurate. So here's the thing, if I can get into the weeds a little bit, so forgive me. In the book of Revelation, which is a, a weird, scary, different book, which we'll have to do some series on, but it's, it's John, um, the guy's name was John who wrote it, and it was this kind of apocalyptic vision of the future, which was a common form of literature, writing these weird, crazy stories. Back then, that was a common form of literature. So he wrote this weird, crazy story to talk about what he saw as God's future, God's hope, God's plan for the world. And in John's vision, John sees this this huge city, this new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And the thing in John's vision of God's future plan for the world is, yes, the city has walls, So there's a boundary, but intriguingly enough, the gates are always open. So there's boundaries. Remember, like we talked about, there's boundaries like this is heaven, this is not heaven. But it's like I talked about, there's some kind of dotted line. Like there's there's a wall, then there's an opening, and then there's a border, and then there's an opening. We are a mission-gathering Christian church. We are a Christian church who seeks to follow in the ways of Jesus. That's our boundary. But we are going to, another point of us is we, we want to make room. Whether you've been left out of church, whether you've been pushed out, whether you're not sure how to, what to make of this whole thing, we're going to make room for you. Because we believe that's the way of God. The first Sunday, our, our first Sunday, like, like Paul said, this is the ninth Sunday. Our first Sunday, I talked about sanctuary. And if you notice the sign out there, it said sanctuary this way. And, and we use that word purposely because we want this to be a sanctuary in the fullest sense of the word. So whether you're here and you're not sure what to think of church, whether you're here, you're not sure about how you relate to God, whether you're here and you're not sure in general even why you're here, We want to make room for you and say this is a safe place for you to come and explore, to ask your questions, share your doubts, and be real with who you are and what you're dealing with at that time. So we are, as a church, we're about 
making room for others. We're about being a place where people are included. So everything we do, every decision we make, asks the question or is, is meant to continue that mission of, is this including, is this welcoming people? Because we believe that in making room, we are replicating God's way, God's vision for the world. We have a great crowd this morning. We're, like I said, we're on our ninth Sunday, so we're just, we're still getting our feet wet. And it's exciting to see y'all here this morning. So I want to say, welcome. You are included you are welcome to be a part of what we're doing here, and we're going to make space for you, as we already have had to do this morning. So for those who are left out, who have been forced out, for those who are unsure where they fit in, for those who are still trying to figure this whole thing out, and if I can be really real this morning, I think we're all trying to figure this thing out. So together... This is what we do. We as a community of faith join together following Jesus and saying, you know what? I'm not sure about this or I'm not sure about that or I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that. I need some help here. I need some help there. And we come together and we support one another. And the cool thing is as we, we do this journey together, we find other people and say, you know, you're, you're looking for a place where you can be included you're looking for a place where you can share your doubts. You're looking for a place where you can be real about your, what you're sure about, what you're not sure about. Hey, this, this is the place, man. Mission gathering is the place. That's what I want you to know this morning. This is the place for you, and this is the place for folks you know and we know who are looking for that. So I want you to join me this morning, and as we go forward, sharing God's love, sharing God's welcome, sharing God's inclusion because we are about creating space, making room for others because we believe that's what God is about. And I shared this this morning with Paul. When I was, when I was in high school growing up, uh, there was a song by this band, Audio Adrenaline. Is anyone, any Audio Adrenaline fans here? Yes, Brianna, all right. So Audio Adrenaline was this big uh, CCM or Christian music band back when I was in high school. And they had this song. Paul, what was the song? Big House? Big House. We're not going to sing it. We're not going to sing it. Don't worry. It's got lots and lots of room. And in God's big house, there's a big table with lots and lots of food. <laughs> Gosh, I, feel like, I feel like we have to sing it now. We're not going to sing it.